Hey everyone, my name is Michelle and welcome to Romcom Weekly. Today I'm joined by my friend Monica and we're talking about the movie Music and Lyrics. Hi Monica. Hi Michelle. Thanks so much for doing this. I'm very excited to talk to you today. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. So a few things about the movie. It was released in February of 2007. It's directed and written by Mark Lawrence. It stars Hugh Grant, Drew Barrymore, Brad Garrett, and Kristen Johnston. The IMDb.com summary is, a washed-up singer is given a couple days to compose a chart-topping hit for an aspiring teen sensation. Though he's never written a decent lyric in his life, he sparks with an offbeat younger woman with a flair for words. It has a 6.5 on IMDb, and it made more than $145 million worldwide. All right, so Monica, let's start with you. What would you rate this movie on a scale from 1 to 10? Oh man, I went really aggressive. <laughs> I originally put 10 out of 10 because I watched, Whoa! I was like so impressed with how well it held up. But then I was like, there's always room for improvement. So maybe I'll just knock it down to a 9.5. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I love it. I know that you and I have talked and I know that this is one of your favorite rom-coms. Uh-huh. So I am going to give it a 7.0. I want to dive into your score, though, a little bit more. Why did you choose this film and what's your relationship with it? Yeah, so I actually haven't watched this film in a while. When it first came out, I don't think I watched it in theaters either, but it was like right when I had just started college. I remember my girlfriends and I would be watching it like in our apartment several weekends in a row <laughs> and it was just it was funny we loved it I look back fondly on those times and probably mm. this movie so it's just very I also think very well written so yeah that's why I love it so much that makes a lot of sense because I think you have good experiences while watching the movie you know like you were surrounded by girlfriends and it was a very like safe space for you. Yeah. I was thinking back about my first time seeing this movie and I can't recall. I was like thinking back to 2007 and I can't remember the first time. Like, was it a rental? Did I get it like on Netflix DVD? (laughs) You know, it wasn't on TV, obviously, but I don't think I saw it in theaters. So I'm at a loss for my first time seeing it. Yeah, this movie, I agree with you. It's aged quite well. There's not any problematic parts to it, in my opinion. And It's really fun and really enjoyable. But with that, let's kind of get into what you like specifically about the movie, if you don't mind starting. Yeah, I think, I mean, the title just says it all. The music in this movie is so good. I remember (laughs) after watching it, I may have even downloaded the soundtrack because I thought the (laughs) tunes were so catchy. Yes, yes. And it's just, it transcends so many decades, right? So there's like the 80s, there's like the 90s music. And I love both those decades, so I really love that part of the movie. Mm -hmm. And I also think, like, when I was watching it back, I was like, the writing on here is actually very good. Like, the way that they develop characters and the the comedy is good. And so when I watched it back, it just held up really, really well. Mm. Yeah, I agree with you about the music. It's also a genre of music that I'm very into, One of my most played playlists on Spotify is like 80s hits, which (laughs) I'm a little embarrassed to admit. But yeah, this kind of just brought me back. And like the the movie itself starts with like a a very 80s music video of pop. And then it also ends with the music video with the pop-up video, which I used to watch on VH1. So that was like 
not nostalgic, but it just kind of like made me miss those days a little bit. But yeah, the music is really, really catchy. Since I rewatched this movie yesterday, and I've had Way Back Into Love stuck in my head for like 24 hours now. So yeah. there's something about that. It's a good song. It's so catchy. Like the pop goes my heart. The hip hop that yes. Hugh Grant does. It's just comedy all around. So there's yeah. nothing not to love about it. Yeah, like specifically, I think Drew Barrymore and Hugh Grant, like they're kind of like rom-com heavyweights, I guess. Mm -hmm. They've done a lot of rom-coms. So two of them together, it's a formula for success, I guess. I think Drew Barrymore is super quirky. She's like this big ball of energy, which I think was kind of hard to digest in the beginning. But then the more we get to know her, she's a little bit more lovable. And her physical comedy and in some scenes is just really, really funny. And then, like, Hugh Grant, obviously, self-deprecating with those dance moves. Yes, like, what's not to love? And I was actually impressed. It looks like he's doing his own piano playing, too. Yeah, it does look like that, right? Because when when he's playing, it does pan around. So, yeah. But I agree. I think, like, the character development is really good. Like, both of them feel like well-rounded characters with good backstories. And so it doesn't really fall flat in, in that sense where... I think some rom-coms, maybe the girl is just like the every girl and doesn't really have a story. So it makes it easier to everybody to relate to her. Mm -hmm. But this one is definitely like, she's a quirky person. That's for sure. Yeah. And that's a really good point. Um, I feel like both of these leads have some kind of backstory. I actually found myself kind of fantasizing about being Sophie in the sense that like, what if I randomly came across an 80s has-been and I was like, what would that be like? <laughs> would that be really fun? Because like Sophie doesn't, she's not playing into the like glamour of Alex Fletcher's former life. So she's right. just like very cool and collected in herself, I guess. But yeah, I was like, that would not be me. I think I would be more like Rhonda, the sister, <laughs> Kristen <laughs> Johnston. <laughs> She cracks me up. She's so funny in this movie. But yeah, like, I don't know. I just found myself fantasizing because I was like, yeah, you're right. This is kind of a well-written story in the sense that it's quite grounded in a way. But I, yeah, I, I do fantasize about weird things like that. Have you ever thought about that? So I think like an 80s pop star may be out of the question, but I maybe five years ago now, I went to like a Backstreet Boys concert, mm -hmm. which is a, little, a decade later, but still in the same vein of like music that you grew up with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then you go to a concert and you don't really know how much you're going to revert back to that person that you were <laughs> when you first heard that song or that album. And when I got to that concert, it was just like screaming women, <laughs> full grown between like, 20s all the way to their 40s just acting as if we were teenagers again so I 100% agree that like I would definitely be Rhonda especially if it was somebody <laughs> that I had that much reverence or that kind of like relationship with for sure yeah you just reminded me that I also went to a concert in Vegas I went to a boys to men concert and Frank actually came with me and he doesn't have a relationship with boys to men, <sighs> but Frank's music taste is a very different conversation, but <laughs> I rushed the stage. There's like one, I think there's one song where they invite like women, like they hand out roses. So like when they came on stage, I started crying and I was like, who, I, I am one of those women. I never thought that I would be that person, but it's true because, you know, they evoke this certain 
time in your life where you were so young and yeah, it's, it was a hard love that I had for them when that album came out in 1994. But Rhonda, she flips out that she like pushes women out of the way (laughs) to uh, rush the stage. And I don't know if I was at that level, but I definitely identify more with a Rhonda. Yeah, I think it's mentioned in the first few scenes where they meet that like, Rhonda was the one who really listened to pop, but then like, Mm -hmm. Sophie actually didn't know much about him, right? Like she didn't even recognize him when she met him. So yeah, I don't know. It's like an interesting circumstance to ponder. Yeah. And I think like uh, the sisters themselves have a little bit of an age gap. So I think that's probably one of the big reasons why just different musicians at different times in their lives. But yeah, it's an interesting thought for sure. I might fantasize about this a little bit more. (laughs) Are there any other things that you liked about the movie? Um, I think they had really good references. So like we were saying in the beginning, that Battle of the 80s thing is so (laughs) reminiscent of like VH1, like I love the 80s and I love the 90s. Mm. And then I think they like live in the same musical world that we live in. I like wrote down as many references like as I could from the movie and they reference like Tear for Fears, Ricky Martin. They say avril instead of avril (laughs) that made me laugh cora mentions like shakira at one point and so it feels very much like a real world and not Mm -hmm. like some hypothetical world right um yeah even mentioned like britney so right all the musical references are like this could be you and me and like we have an emotional attachment or we understand like what the stakes are when they say those names Mm mm-hmm and then the other thing that I found funny was there was like a DDR mat. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, there indeed was. Yeah. And I think this was either just after or like still during that phase in my life when we really were playing a lot of DDR in my family. <laughs> so to see that in like major pop culture was like amazing to me. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's another reason why this movie just, like, speaks to your heart, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Just checked all the boxes. I know, yeah, it's really funny. I mean, I clearly, like, obviously you love this movie a little bit more than I do. It's not something that I reach for a lot of the times. But, yeah, I just found it, like, incredibly enjoyable and very fun. And, I mean, there's certain categories we'll get to later, so I don't want to, like, move too fast. But, yeah. Cora, who's played by Haley Bennett. So this was her first feature film. I wouldn't have guessed it because I feel like she plays Cora really well, too. Mm-hmm. Like this confident uh, superstar. And I like how they didn't depict her as like this dumb superstar. I think she is, maybe her head is in the clouds a little bit, but I feel like it could have been very easily pandered to like dumb superstar. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, she clearly, like, cares about her craft when she switches to her, like, conversations with Alex, right? She's, like, able to give him feedback, like, oh, I want another verse, or no, make it X or make it Y. So there is this, like, loopy-doopy spiritual (laughs) aspect, but when it comes down to, like, the work and recording, she's not problematic in any way, right? She's not, like, late to sessions. She's not a drama queen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She, you know, is just young and... Maybe, like, that also contributes to the humor around her is because she, like, frames everything from, like, a just a teenager's perspective. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I think all the characters are pretty likable. 
there's nobody that I would like really dislike in the in the movie. So yeah, yeah, agree. Considering that you are giving this movie a nine point five or a ten out of ten, are there any things you don't like about the movie? Yeah, so I got to this point, and I was like, I, I don't even have anything to write about. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I've noticed in, like, recent filmmaking, and I wish that they had done more of in this movie, was um, clearly it takes place in New York. Mm-hmm. And so many other movies make use of New York way better than this movie does. I was constantly looking in the background to see, like, where in Manhattan are they? And it was pretty difficult to discern so Mm -hmm. I think like that part you know they could have shot this on like a set in LA for all we know because they didn't really utilize the city all that well hmm that's really interesting point so I bring it up a few times in in past episodes how much I love movies that take place in New York to be actually filmed in New York and obviously I really appreciated this movie being filmed in New York but yeah, now that you're saying this, that makes a lot of sense. So I think the only like obvious place that I recognized was City Bakery. Yeah. Because it literally said City Bakery behind <laughs> Alex Fletcher's head in that conversation where they're talking and Sophie is explaining who, you know, Sally Michaels is. Mm. But to your point, yeah, they could have used or utilized New York City a lot more. Yeah, I'm thinking specifically of Aziz Ansari's show on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Master of None. Master of None is like such a love letter to New York. I don't know if it's just street signs makes every- makes all the difference, but like you can clearly identify sort of where in the city he is versus this. I think the only shot that I could really identify was like at the end. And I was like, oh, that's really close to my apartment. But it also makes no plot sense for them to be there. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I do find myself looking for like where they are as well. I think in the beginning, there's a shot of, shoot, I don't remember, but I think that they're in the Upper West Side. I think that's where Alex lives. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I yeah, to your point, there's no like landmarks or obvious New York City sites. Yeah, and I think that's probably the only thing that I could have put under what didn't you like about the movie. Hmm. Yeah, that's a fair that's a fair point. So for me, there weren't a lot of things I didn't like about the movie either. I just do wish that we were given more backstory to Sloane Cates and Sally Michaels and Sophie about this whole kind of conflict she has. I appreciate that we see that she has conflict, but I think I wanted more. I think there could have been room for that to be kind of that story to be told a little bit more. And I realized rom-com, you know, you usually want a movie like an hour and 45 minutes. So there's no time for that. Yeah, it does feel like something that it's very intriguing how that happened. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, of all things, this professor that you have a relationship with also writes a book like yeah that's so random (laughs) yeah it was random but also it was just like very fast like Mm -hmm. Sophie explaining this kind of happened really quickly and we don't really understand like maybe the timeline like how long ago was this and she still can't get over this so it's clearly something that she's struggling with but I guess I wanted more depth to that storyline yeah I wonder if like it hadn't been a student professor kind of relationship if that could have been substituted with any other type of conflict Mm -hmm. where she is you know misled and it still would have played the same 
Yeah. Yeah, but other than that, I don't have a lot to say. I I don't know. I'm struggling with a little bit of, like, Hugh Grant and Drew Barrymore together and their chemistry. So this isn't a movie that, like I mentioned, I, I haven't really rewatched it all that much, but I like the two of them individually a lot. Seeing them together was a little bit like, oh, whoa, this is interesting. Do they have chemistry? I'm not entirely sure. But I think in the end, I came to terms with like, I think I like them together. And then actually a point in my trivia later on is that I've read, I don't know if this is true, but that Drew and Hugh actually did not get along during filming. I think reading that point of trivia kind of hindered my experience, if that makes any sense, just because I'm like, oh, well, if they didn't really like each other, then I was kind of like picking it apart. Like, can I tell? Do they have chemistry on screen? I don't know. (laughs) did you find out about that bit before or after you watched the movie before oh interesting i should probably save my trivia for after the movie (laughs) moving forward (laughs) yeah i think back to when i first saw it i did think that it was an interesting pairing hugh grant i know from like bridget jones diary um, Love Actually, Two Weeks Notice, and he's always really played against what I would say are like very Hollywood beautiful type women. And Drew Barrymore is, she is like a very gorgeous woman, but she doesn't physically look like a lot of his other counterparts, I think. She's got like the cutest face. I couldn't get over this. I was like, I don't really care for Drew Barrymore that much. But when I was watching the movie, I was like, I really like her mm-hmm. and I've only ever seen her in like 51st dates and I don't even know if he's not that into you came out before or after this but I wouldn't have like in my head thought oh Hugh Grant is the lead who would I cast oh Drew Barrymore so it was an interesting pairing to see like just on the movie poster or like the DVD covers just like the <laughs> two of them together so it was an interesting pairing and I I think I felt similar ways probably when I first saw it of like, do they actually have good chemistry or do they not have chemistry? Mm-hmm. I think part of the fun is like that they are so different from each other and it doesn't feel like an automatically natural fit, maybe. That's a really good point. Yeah. I think I have more of a relationship with Drew Barrymore just because I think there are some other movies that I really love with her in it. So Yeah, she does some really, she can really kind of shape her face to be really silly. She can play like shock and awe and like silly and just very spacey very well. I mean, you're right. I think given that it's not an obvious coupling, it makes sense that there wouldn't be like an immediate spark, I guess, between the characters, to your point. Yeah, and some of the fun is just like they are somewhat combative in a way. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Maybe that off-screen, not chemistry, really <laughs> contributed to the beginning of the movie. <laughs> yeah, I tried to like find some interviews with them on YouTube, like promoting the movie, and there wasn't a whole lot of YouTube footage. And there was this one interview that I did watch that I actually couldn't like get through, just because Drew just looked so unamused. She was like looking at the ends of her hair like Mm. she just like was scratching her head like I don't know I was like okay they like maybe something happened maybe something didn't happen I don't know but I was like I don't need to break the movie magic by diving into this so I ended it there um let's move on to themes 
Did you happen to take away any themes from the movie? Yeah, I don't know how many are themes. I think they're like patterns or maybe even just like tropes that I've noticed across a lot of stories. So like Mm -hmm. Hugh Grant being like the one hit wonder, I feel like that is something that Hollywood likes to do. And I think Drew Barrymore, for all the weirdness that she is, she is like a very lovable, almost like girl next door. Maybe I'm not even thinking about girl next door correctly, but like she's a very approachable protagonist. So I thought that was like between the two characters, those were things that I probably have seen before, maybe not together. Mm -hmm. The student professor relationship is definitely something that I've seen over and over again. This is a little bit cliche. Yeah. And then I think the other thing about this movie, which is maybe why I like it so much, is that there's this purity of the craft of music. Mm. So it's <laughs> the little workaholic <laughs> in me, like, loves this because they're so focused on, like, the art and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And that in and of itself is what really brings them together. So I think that is something that I kind of like latched on to maybe subconsciously. That's really interesting that you bring that up because <laughs> so Frank knows you better than I do. I'll just let the people out there know. And Frank actually mentioned that this might be a theme that you take away is this idea of being principled. I wrote down my notes before I talked to Frank about it. And I was like, yeah, this whole concept of authenticity and being true to your craft, right? And Mm -hmm. obviously, Sophie is the principled one. She really wants Cora to sing the song the way that they imagined it originally. Yeah. Whereas Alex is just like, who cares? It's just part of the biz. Like, as long as I get paid at the end of the day, I don't really care what happens. Yeah. So yeah, that's that was the big theme that I also took away. But then I also kind of thought about it a little bit more and like, how would I relate to this theme? But Sophie doesn't really have anything to lose in this scenario. Uh, Maybe a little bit of her reputation, but no one knows who she is. Yeah. Um, Meanwhile, Alex has everything or a lot more to lose if he doesn't get this job or if Cora doesn't follow through with their song. So I feel like it makes sense that Sophie would be so principled being like, trying to tell Cora, this is not the way we envisioned it. I don't know, when you have less to lose, maybe you're ballsier, you know, you're more bold to do to do that. I guess my one of my questions is, do you think you're more Sophie or Alex? Oh, shoot. (laughs) I think there's something about Alex where I was watching and I was trying to figure out like, what is his major flaw? Mm -hmm. And obviously, he's, he's willing to do whatever to the song in order to sell it. But there are hints at his character where he clearly is still like a musician, right? Like Mm -hmm. he doesn't do the 80s thing, because he doesn't get to sing unless he's actually the winner of the competition, or he still plays like these really small venues, maybe because he's riding on like his fame. And that's the only thing that he knows how to do. But there is something about the way that he talks about melody Mm. and the way that he talks about music that is clear that like he loves music even if he is disillusioned with with the whole industry so Mm -hmm. I think for me there are some days when I'm at work where I am an Alex Mm -hmm. but I, I feel like I try to reset every day and try to make sure that like I'm bringing the Sophie to the table because Mm -hmm. it feels like if that goes away then 
you know, what is left of you as a person? <laughs> like, where is your integrity? Right, right. No, I, I think, yeah, that's a big, I don't know if it's a struggle, but it's definitely something to think about. That's top of mind is like, you know, you do your work. What's the point of doing your work if it doesn't mean something or mean what you want it to mean, right? I think that's maybe the internal struggle a lot of people go through is like, I mean, this is a very big generalization. It's like people work, you know, work to live or live to work kind of thing. And maybe this yeah. whole idea of being principled is one like shred of integrity that you can have if you are, you know, struggling at work or you don't like your work and you're working to live. Yeah, I, I thought that was kind of an interesting takeaway as well. <laughs> That's so funny that Frank brought this up. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he was like, Monica's a very principled person. So then I was like thinking about, you know, which one would she identify with? I think Sophie, the one, so this kind of bleeds into a WTF for me though, is this whole moment when Sophie wants to confront Cora. Yeah. I feel like Sophie could have picked a different time and place than this pre-recording party. I think it, it is. It, it's just like read the room. So that was a moment for me. I was like, it's, it's not the best place. Yeah. I struggle with Sophie's characterization because I was trying to figure out if she's oblivious or she just doesn't care. Mm. Because, like, if she doesn't care, then that's really a strong point for her character because it, it plays into that principled nature of hers. But if she's right. oblivious, then really she's just lacking in tact, right? <laughs> like, she could right. go about trying to convince Cora in different ways. And I think it, like, manifests itself in a lot of different scenes. And I still maybe even towards the end was like, okay, she must be oblivious because the moment that she chooses to do that, or even like when she first introduces herself, it must be like all packaged in together of this obliviousness. Mm. And there's something about that that's like, it's nice because it's an, it's like a level of naivete, but then at the same time, it's like, okay, well, this girl can't get anything done. Like she needs <laughs> somebody to like open her eyes up to the real world, which I think, you know, is part of her conflict with Alex later on and with Sloane. Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. Speaking of Sloane, that is my favorite scene. If we can move on to favorite scenes. So yeah. the moment when Alex, Sophie, manager Chris, and random woman, I don't know who she is, with the beautiful red dress, they go to dinner and Sloane comes into the restaurant. And that whole moment where Drew kind of like does all this physical comedy, like ducking under the table, like running to the bathroom, and then to the scene where she confronts him and she's just blanking. She just can't form words. She just falls apart. And for me, that was just Drew kind of at her finest. It was fun, but also incredibly cringeworthy at the same time to watch because you're just <laughs> yeah. like, no, like you can do this, like stand up for yourself. But I thought the fact that she fell apart was quite relatable and quite realistic. One of the questions I had for you was like that whole speech she has in the bathroom. She she already has a speech formed in her mind. Like this is what I was going to say whenever I confront him, mm -hmm. whenever I see him. Do you actually think that people do that? Do you think they have speeches written in their mind for having, you know, tough conversations for any potential confrontation? So I can 100% say yes, because <laughs> I am one of these people. Okay, good I, to know. I think like in a lot of movies, what you see is you'll see somebody like looking at themselves in the mirror, which I do not do. I do not speak aloud <laughs> the practiced speech to myself. I do a lot more what like Sophie does, which is I write down how I'm feeling. 
And I use that as a way to sort of rehearse. I've never had it fall apart like she did in front of Sloan, but Mm -hmm. I totally understand that like you like psych yourself up for something like this. This moment comes, you've thought it over, you've crafted your words. And when it comes time to actually say something, it just doesn't come out quite right. Mm-hmm. And obviously hers is like a dramatization, but <laughs> it's definitely happened to me where I'm like, oh no, I missed that point in my mm-hmm. my like list of things that I wanted to talk about. And I did not get across or come off as strongly as I wanted to. And unfortunately for me, I did not have an Alex with me. So <laughs> it's definitely happened to me before. Yeah, it was, I mean, just to like kind of, talk about the scene a little bit more it's just that I love when Alex takes over the speech right that also Mm -hmm. that part was just kind of very endearing for him as a character because he really is rooting for her you know he wants her to confront her fears and hash this out with Sloan but that's really interesting that you are of that mindset because I'm not so great with thinking my thoughts through first, I guess one would say. Mm-hmm. I think I'm very more, much more an emotionally reactive person. So I think in my mind, I might have like bullet points. But I also will say that I've never gotten so riled up about a situation or a person where this has needed to happen in my own head. But there are a few moments where I have had confrontations and I think I'm being so cool, but then I just end up yelling and crying and I don't know why I'm crying and I'm yelling again so then it's just like it's not cool or collected at all it's just a big ball of emotion so I envy you that that you're able to have those thoughts and be very intentional with how you want to approach that person well let's just put a little disclaimer I am intentional but in the delivery you know there's also crying (laughs) It's just to prepare me for the conversation. I don't know that it actually like gets pulled off all that well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just this is kind of a trope slash pattern. I think that also happens in other movies where like a protagonist is like, you know, I'm going to confront this person. I have a speech prepared in my head Mm -hmm. and they're hit with the moment and they forget. And then all of a sudden it just kind of like fumbles out. So yeah, I think the thing about the speech that she writes is it, it's so personal. It's like, mm. Sally lives on paper, but I live in the real world. And so when Michael has to parrot that, mm-hmm. he says it in the third person, like, <laughs> Sally lives on paper, but Sophie's in the real world. And you're like, who talks like that? Yeah, that's right. Again, that scene is just, it was, yeah, a mix of cringe excitement and you're like laughing at the same time because it all just falls apart yeah and then Hugh Hugh Grant fights Sloan like legitimately physically fight yeah and he doesn't win either so (laughs) like usually you'll see like the male love interest like beats the other guy up and then they walk away victorious this is like a husband also gets his, you know, butt whooped. Right, right. And they both had to walk away with their, like, tails between their legs. So I think it was a funny just, like, flip on that trope, I guess. Yeah, for sure. And, like, we mentioned Hugh Grant earlier, like, the types of roles he plays. I've also noticed that he never plays, like, the super macho guy. Mm-hmm. He plays kind of, like, the fumbling, insecure, a little bit vulnerable guy. And so, yeah, he plays Alex Fletcher quite well in this sense. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite scene or scenes? 
Um, so it's very funny that we talked about work earlier because I wrote down for my favorite scene. It was the one where they're talking about the difference between melody and lyrics. I think I forget which mm-hmm. session it is where they're at Alex's apartment and he's just saying like, well, just write the words, just spit them out. And she's like trying so hard to get the words right. And when she explains it to him, she goes, well, a melody can be like anything. It can be like physical attraction. It's what draws you in immediately. But lyrics are like getting to know somebody. And I thought that was so poignant because Mm. there are so many songs where I know what the melody is, but I don't know exactly the right lyrics or like sing the lyrics wrong. And when you really look into lyrics, that's when you really understand what the song is about. So that scene coupled with the scene where later Alex is talking about how melody like pop music in general is just like poetry. I think those two discussions about the craft is really what makes me love this movie because it's the titular scene. It's like the Mm -hmm. music and the lyrics. And it was a discussion about that in a way that I had never heard before. Mm. But hearing somebody talk about music that way was really, it was like a very light bulb moment for me. Mm. Yeah. As you bring this up, this is, very true. This is a very poignant part of the movie. That scene, the melody is like the attraction and the lyrics is the intimacy of knowing someone. Uh, I had to rewind or I had to like pause and go back because I was like, wait, what was that? Because <laughs> I wanted to listen to it again. But it's you're right. It's very true. And to your point, there are a lot of songs. I know the melody and sing along. I listened to like 90s R&B and like hip hop growing up. Mm-hmm. And I'm singing along, I'm singing along. I don't actually, I'm saying the words. I don't know what they mean. And it's incredibly sexual. The older I get, I'm like, holy shit, that's what the words are? Like, oh my gosh, <laughs> why was I saying I was those like things? 11 or 12 years <laughs> yes. old. You're like, no, this is what I've been singing this entire time. This is very inappropriate for an 11 year old to be singing this kind of music. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's this realization of, of once you actually get to read the lyrics and know and understand the lyrics certain songs can take on a whole different meaning so that's a really good point yeah and I think like music these days is very repetitive like it's the Mm -hmm. same lyrics over and over again so it made me really appreciate music that has great lyrics to it which either like tells a story or has like some sort of progression over the song or even like the smallest change from verse to verse it really is something that I started to notice I think after this movie Mm. Yeah, so this was quite formative for you. <laughs> <laughs> I love how my scene was just like, Drew Barrymore is silly, and you have a much more profound reason to have a favorite scene. So <laughs> that's, I'll just leave that out there. Let's move on to WTF moments. What are your thoughts? Do you have any to kind of pick apart? I think there's something about Alex's manager also being his DJ. That to <laughs> me was like... I understand that, like, you can't have that many characters in a movie, but is this really what, like, a manager does? Does he, like, follow around his, you know, his talent and play the laptop for him so that he can, you know, do his gigs? That was one thing that I thought was, like, a little weird. And then Uh along the lines of that, I realized that the night that Rhonda goes to see Alex, having learned that, you know, Sophie was watering his plants was for like a high school reunion and it was at a Hilton and I was like what high school reunions can afford a Hilton 
presumably in Manhattan. Right. Maybe it wasn't in Manhattan. But at the same time, I just had a high school reunion a few years ago. And we were just like at a bar. Or like if you watch the movies, it's always at the high school gym. (laughs) Yes. And they are like at a hotel ballroom. So that was like the first what the F moment Mm -hmm. that I have listed. That's really funny. That's a good one. Yeah, because presumably Alex has a fee, right? So to your point, how much money did this high school reunion have to spend to (laughs) A, rent out a Hilton ballroom and B, pay for Alex Fletcher? Yeah. Yeah. And Brad Garrett as a manager. That's really funny. I didn't pick up on that one. But yeah, I just, I think I was like, wow, he has one client. So I guess he really just works hard to service Alex. Yeah, how can he make a living off of Alex? Alex, I don't know how much he's getting paid for these gigs at, like, the Great Adventure or Adventureland, <laughs> but it can't yeah. be enough to bankroll both those people. Right. No, I agree with you. Totally. Yeah, I guess, which is why they really need this Cora thing to work out. <laughs> so I actually didn't have that many WTFs. I felt like the plot itself didn't have that many holes it was mostly like character driven, like to my point earlier about about Sophie and like learning a little bit more about her backstory. Mm-hmm. Small moment for me was, I don't know if it's WTF, but I was like, Sophie is going to move to Florida to manage the new weight knot. Oh, yeah. I, I was like, this is very dramatic and very sudden. And it's just like forgotten immediately. Like, okay, so I guess she doesn't go to Florida. But yeah, it, it was just a little bizarre of a plot hole in that sense. Yeah, it feels like they should have introduced that plot bit earlier in the story because it comes out of right. nowhere, right? Yeah. It could have been like the whole time like, oh, she's been planning, she's been thinking, it's been something that like their family company has been trying to do and she's been resistant this whole time and then because of the conflict she decides to do it, but no, it just shows up at the end. <laughs> Yeah, no, that would have been a lot better if it was kind of like a full circle moment. Like, oh, you know, she's unhappy with her work and the Sloan thing is still over her head. So Mm -hmm. I'm just going to escape to Florida. But yeah, it was very random to me. The fact that Alex has someone to just specifically come in to water his plants seems (laughs) (laughs) a little extra. And like, I realize he is a former pop star, but it seems like his apartment is... It's not like a 5,000 square foot apartment in a brownstone in like the West Village, you know, it seems like a very down to earth apartment. So presumably he would be able to water his own plants. But yeah, that whole like idea of a meet cute is a little bit of a WTF for me just having a plant lady come in. Yeah, it's not even like he has like a dog. It's not even like a dog walker situation. It's like these plants, Yeah, you know, they're like self-watering planters out there. (laughs) And then I mentioned this earlier, but the scene at dinner with Sloan. Yeah, who is this woman that Chris brought to dinner? Just is it a date? Random, yeah. It's a random woman. So yeah, I there was no, zero context because we know that Chris is divorced and has a daughter. Mm-hmm. But I was like, wait, is this the ex-wife? Uh, it can't be. They didn't even give her a name. I don't even know. It probably did. I just didn't catch it. But I would have wanted a little bit more context surrounding that. Yeah, I wonder if they could have played this movie where Chris is still with his wife and like nothing changes except for the fact that they miss out on a few like divorcee jokes or something. Right, right. Yeah, like I would have much preferred that to be honest with you. (laughs) That would have made it a little bit more interesting. I have one that's like really trivial and is like not big at all. It's Sophie's with Alex for 
like three or four days on end mm-hmm. and they don't shower and her <laughs> blowout is like flawless the entire time that's a good one yes agree i was like what the heck this is insane and i love like in the bathroom again with dinner with sloan yes she's meant to look haggard but i'm like she She still looks totally presentable (laughs) (laughs) it's like these makeovers for these already beautiful women it's like it's so hard to make them look frumpy and ugly and haggard or whatever but that's a good point gotta have a good blowout. This isn't a WTF, but it drove me to research it. Cora continuously says Shanti Shanti throughout the movie. I was like, what the hell does Shanti Shanti mean? So I looked it up. It means peace. Apparently, you actually have to say it three times in Buddhist and Hindu traditions. It means peace in body, speech, and mind. Oh, wow. I did not know that. So fun fact that you will now know whenever anybody says Shanti Shanti to you. And she only says it twice, so... Right. She's missing that, that one. Just yeah. Cultural appropriation. Agree. <laughs> I have one last WTF moment, which is sort of what I touched on earlier, which is um, when they're speeding down, I think it's to the helipad, I don't know which time, maybe right before Cora goes to LA, but they turn on a street, which is in Chinatown, that is very close to where I live. And mm-hmm. if they were really trying to get to the helipad... They are going in the opposite direction <laughs> of, like, the South Seaport helipad. Yes, yes. I love that you brought this up, because that's one of my biggest pet peeves of movies filmed in New York. I mean, I know, like, for people who live in New York, we obviously know it a little bit more, but for the masses who don't know the ins and outs and the streets and all that stuff of the city, they wouldn't catch it, necessarily. Yeah. But it's something that I always pick up on, also. It's like, wait, why are they uptown? When they're clearly downtown. Yeah, the geography thing makes me nuts. Yeah, and like, she's getting on a helicopter to go to LA. Like, that's a six-hour flight. Yeah. Is she going to Teterboro to hop on a private jet? Like, what's the deal with this helicopter? Because six hours on a helicopter sounds like a downgrade from coach, in my opinion. (laughs) That sounds terrible. You're right. It's just like so loud. I didn't catch that one. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the ending? Are you happy with it? Yeah, so they have that montage during the credits, right? Where they're like, mm-hmm. clearly they went on to continue writing together. They do some more songs. I think it was a very enjoyable ending. Mm-hmm. I don't really like when rom-coms like, tie everything up too nicely. Like They progress the relationship too quickly. Mm-hmm. Like the minute they end up together, which for most rom-coms is like a week, they immediately <laughs> yes. get married at the end. So I actually really like the ending because it's just like, oh, yeah. And then they dated. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that's the goal, right? Yeah. They actually dated. Right, right, right. Yeah. That's funny. Um, I enjoyed the ending. I personally like the silly epilogue pop-up video. Mm-hmm. That was really fun. I don't think I had like properly watched that because whenever this movie's on TV, they kind of like roll the credits through, you know, so it's hard to see, but I was able to watch it this time. I do wish that we got to listen to Way Back Into Love in its entirety, just because there was that whole conflict surrounding the last uh, verse or like Mm -hmm. an extra verse that Cora requested, but then we never get to hear it. So in the ending that I would put together is that we hear... Alex and Cora sing the whole song, like beginning to end. I guess that's kind of like boring. I don't know. 
but I just thought that they built it up as a conflict in the movie and then just didn't really follow through. Well, Michelle, I have very good news for you, which is <laughs> on the soundtrack. Uh-huh. <laughs> that you purchased. That I maybe purchased or <laughs> as a poor college student got through other means. Yes, yes. I think Cora and Alex sing the song all the way through. Yeah. So it's not Drew Barrymore and Hugh Grant, but there is a full version for your listening pleasure. I will definitely be tuning in. Yeah, I I just, I guess I wished it was in the movie. That's my silly nitpick. But (laughs) other than that, yes, of course, it's tied up in a nice bow in the sense that Alex does this grand gesture in MSG Stadium, right? Like, (laughs) he, he sings this song asking for a second chance, and she runs backstage, they kiss, they make up. The song is now back in its original form, and then kiss and end. So yes. Very sweet, as per usual for a rom-com. Yeah. Did you relate to Alex or Sophie? Yeah, I think Alex has um, he has the typical Hugh Grant like flavor on him, right? He's got this mm-hmm. very self-deprecating, witty humor to him, which I've always loved. Mm-hmm. Personality of him in real life aside, so right, right. I always really liked that. If I were to ask myself, do I relate to being extremely witty? The answer would be no. It's more like a state that I aspire to. (laughs) But I also think that he has really good one-liners. Or, like, he just comes back with, like, a one-liner that's really funny. Like, in Mm -hmm. the very beginning when Chris is like, do you know Cora? And do you know who she loves? And he goes, her country? (laughs) (laughs) Such a Hugh Grant line. Such a Hugh Grant line. It's just, like intentionally funny but he's not trying too hard so I I always love that the one thing I will say about Alex is basically his his main character flaw right is like he has no backbone Mm -hmm. he's willing to do whatever to sell the song or really whatever will get him the job so that I think gets resolved towards the end Mm -hmm. um, when he like stands up for the way that they originally wrote the song but in general, I think his character is really like missing a lot of those other things that we normally associate with rock stars. He like casually refers to like drug use a little bit, <laughs> but in general, it's not like he's parading women. He like casually refers to the fact that he's had a, like a female friend come over every now and then, mm-hmm. hence the plants. But all of those like really kind of destructive traits that we associate with rock stars they don't really come through in his performance or even like in his character's mm. you know, depiction. So I really liked Alex's character in that sense. Mm-hmm. Sophie's character, I think she's a little neurotic in a way that, you know, is very lovable to watch. But if I were to ask myself, do you want to be friends with this person? I would be like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Because she's like all over the place. In a really funny way to observe, but then, you know, do you want that person to be taking care of your own plants? Maybe you would get really annoyed if they, like, killed your plants kind of thing. Yeah, and, like, the way we're introduced to Sophie is kind of, sorry, she just kind of comes at you, like, full force. Like, I'm here to water the plants, but then, like, she pricks her finger and she's like, it's not clotting, so I have to go. Do you have (laughs) a first aid kit? You really should have a first aid kit. And she just, like is so fast, right? Like she just is in and out. Alex doesn't even have time to be like, what is happening right now? 
So, but to your point, like, while it's fun to watch on screen, I don't know if I would identify with her as a person in real life. Yeah, I did relate to her clicking on the pen, though. Mm. Like, when she's, like, trying to figure out what the lyrics are, because I do that. And so I was like, oh, this is annoying. I know it's annoying, <laughs> but, like, watching it is even more annoying. <laughs> I mean, it's a true trait, you know, like, I think I purposely don't use a clicky pen just because I am a clicker as well. It's just another way to kind of just like manifest your anxiety a little bit. Yeah. The one thing that I did like about her character, though, is that like her lyrical ability really manifests itself early on in a way that's like natural and like demonstrates that she's good at something rather than like being told like the audience that she's a good lyricist, right? So like, when he's working with that other guy, Greg, yes, and he just says like something, something, something about a bad bitch or a witch or something. And the next line is something that could have been plucked from any other song. Mm-hmm. She actually maybe goes for almost the next lyric that's too obvious, but really ties a neat bow on like the, the theme of the song. So I really enjoyed how she would like complete things like that. Mm-hmm. And it's really, like, showing us that, like, oh, she's she's good at doing these rhymes. She's good at writing poems or songs. It's not just, like, we have to believe that she's good at it. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah, she's someone who doesn't realize her own talent, but we as an audience already can see that she kind of has a knack for it. You mentioned earlier Hugh Grant's one-liners, and there's one that I really like that made me laugh was throughout the movie, or I think... Not throughout, sorry. Just a few times in the movie. Alex teases Sophie for bringing a box of cookies to Cora's house, right? (laughs) Sophie's like, yeah, you know, my mom told me to never come to a party empty-handed. Cut to the end at MSG and Sophie's backstage and Alex says something like, you come to a concert? You come (laughs) empty-handed? So I I giggled. I was like, well played, Hugh Grant. Well played. (laughs) You really brought it back for me on that one. Yeah. The only thing about Sophie that, outside of what we talked about, that was a little little bit touchy for me is the Sally character, right? Mm -hmm. Like, the way that Alex, I think they have, like, some sort of conflict right after they go to the pre-recording party, and then it lingers into their last verse writing session, and he says, well, you're walking away when it's hard, and you're just, like, the character that you were written as, and I immediately was, like, how dare you, Hugh Grant? That's super rude. <laughs> mm-hmm. But also, it's like, she internalizes some of it, right? Mm-hmm. She's like, well, it is hard. So I'm just going to go to Florida. And I think that little bit about her character mm-hmm. is something that I, I have, like, a little bit of a conflicted feeling about, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what truth about her went through to the Sally character? Or is Sloan literally just making stuff up? Mm-hmm. Like, does she have a flaw? That's sort of like an outstanding question for me. Right, right. Yeah, no, that's kind of what, yeah, I agree with you, which is why I wish, like, I wish that they had kind of uncovered that a little bit more because, I mean, this flaw that Sophie has, who is someone who wants the fairy tale, but then when it doesn't turn out to be the fairy tale, she kind of like runs away or like yeah. shuts down. It's, I think it's relatable in a way, right? Like, of course, like when you strive for perfection and it doesn't work or you you work and you work towards a goal, it doesn't happen. It's only natural for someone to pause and maybe fall apart for a little bit. But to your point, I wish that that was a little deeper. Like, yeah, what are the similar characteristics that she has with Sally Michaels? 
I guess as you were saying that, it, it kind of like brings to mind that Alex and Sophie are like opposites in ways and they're like the opposites attract kind of thing. So mm-hmm. does she really need that trait? Mm. Well, there's Alex. So like they like play off of each other. So yeah, that's an interesting dynamic. I've, I've always like been interested in as well, just in like real life couples of opposites what, attracting. Yeah. Like mm. clearly when people say opposites attract, it can't permeate all the way down to things like values. But when it comes to like personality, where is that threshold and at which threshold does it like actually work for a relationship rather than work against it? Mm. I think that's a hard and tough question for sure. Cause I think it's easy to dismiss, be like opposites attract or easy to admit, I guess, opposites attract, but what does that really mean? Like (laughs) what's the barrier of where these opposite, like where are the limits of this opposition? Um, who do you think has the most character development? Yeah, I think Hugh Grant is kind of like the obvious answer for this. Mm-hmm. His character Alex really goes from someone who will just do whatever, but then has his integrity like put back in him. Mm-hmm. And like what we talked about, Sophie is like she she doesn't really develop all that much. She she gets wronged, but she doesn't necessarily change as a result. It's more like the Alex character has to apologize to her. So mm-hmm. I would say most likely Alex. I gotta say Cora definitely <laughs> like coming back with like the stripped down version is, is some amount of character development as yeah. well. If she, if she just got rid of all the cultural appropriation, she would be like A+. Yeah, that huge Buddha that she uh, has on stage when she walks in. I was like, ooh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Cool, 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 cool. Um, I agree with you, Alex, who goes on the development path. I did question, though, like, did he do these things for the right reasons at the end? Hmm. Like, did he ask Cora to change the music back just to win Sophie back? Or does he actually feel that this is the better version of the song? Yeah, I think the fact that he writes a song. That's also maybe a WTF is like, he says for 15 years that he can't (laughs) write a song. And then the day after he gets dumped or rejected he's able to write a full song yes and then perform it on stage but i think the fact that he writes that song when he's claimed this entire time that he can't and that it's so specific to sophie i also love that because yeah. it's like it's cute yeah for sure I agree. about her but him writing that and then i think in the credit scene the fact that he like goes and does another album because he had been relying so much on like his past music mm-hmm. and this whole debacle is because Cora had asked him for a new song and he was like, I thought we were just going to do one of my old hits. <laughs> so the fact that he actually like does an album, I think hopefully the music that's on there isn't too trendy or like too far from what he believes is mm. like the, his musical style. So I think that little bit makes me feel like, yeah, he did sort of do it for the right reasons okay yeah that's a good point i'll take it (laughs) um i know the end credits allude to alex and sophie staying together Mm -hmm. what do you think their relationship looks like do you think they stay together for a long time do you think this is their partner for life what are your thoughts i love this one part of the the credits that makes me feel like they could be each other's person is in the beginning of the movie, she comes in and she just leaves. She like puts her stuff on the piano, and it's mm-hmm. so it's so annoying to him. He like immediately takes it off and puts it somewhere else. But then in the credits, 
she learns to put the things on the couch. Yes, and yes. not the piano. So there you have it. There's like mutual growth. There you go. That's how Sophie grows. Yeah. <laughs> That's her development right there. And also, they also said like they switched to all plastic plants. Yes, I did see that too. <laughs> also, when Sophie was watering the plants, she didn't look like she was doing a good job. Like she was no. overwatering the plants. So WTF there, Sophie? Like why her to be the plant lady? But yeah, the plastic plants. That was cute. That was a cute way to kind of close that up a little bit. Yeah, what about you, Michelle? Do you think they stay together past what's shown? So I'll be honest with you. I wrote down that I'm unsure. I think I came at this with a more realistic mindset is I can either imagine them as music partners Mm -hmm. or romantic partners. I don't know if they could be both. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Like, I don't know how many couples actually work together and stay together. Yeah, I think that's a small percentage and like are actually happy in their partnership. Mm-hmm. Maybe people stay unhappily in their partnerships for the sake of their craft or their work. But the realistic skeptic in me was just like, I don't know, actually, I, I don't know if they could have it all, you know, I have this writing success and have this happy partnership. But in the rom-com world, they write the epilogue for us so that they it does seem like they are happily together and successfully writing together for, I don't know, an album worth, however long that might be. So you clearly love this movie. Mm -hmm. Do you think this movie is beloved by a lot of people? Well, I thought it was until you said it was only a 6.5 on IMDb. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so a 6.5 from my historical time doing this now, it seems quite average. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think for a lot of rom-coms that are enjoyable, a lot of it's a lot of like in the six or seven range. I don't know if this movie is beloved in the sense that it's not something that I hear a lot about. Yeah. It doesn't seem like this is a movie that like Hugh Grant or Drew Barrymore are really known for. Yeah. I mean, it's very enjoyable, but like it's not their best work, in my opinion. Yeah. And I don't think if you were to ask anybody besides me, like, (laughs) what are your top five rom-coms that music and lyrics would come up on their list? Right, right. (laughs) But I mean, like, you you shared, you know, how you came to watch this movie. So I I can totally understand why this movie means a lot to you. And, you know, kind of digging a little deeper, it seems quite formative for you. So I totally like, I like that you have this movie as a, a top five. We talked about this earlier, but you... We think this movie's aged quite well, right? Yeah, I think it does because it doesn't have like any of those offensive jokes that back then were okay. But mm-hmm. today, if we were to watch it, we were like, Ugh, it like doesn't really make you cringe in that way. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that even the cultural appropriation is a joke to Alex and Sophie right. speaks well to the awareness when this film was being made. You know, in the past few years, it's like, my culture is not a Halloween costume. Like, that stuff has become so prevalent in society. I'm actually pretty surprised that it was in this movie to begin with at all. Mm. So I I think it aged pretty well. I was, like, actually kind of, like, on the lookout to see, like, is there anything about this movie that is, like, now ruined for me? And I Mm -hmm. don't really feel like there was anything. Yeah, it's odd that that's kind of a sigh of relief, right? Like a movie that you loved back then Mm -hmm. still kind of holds up now. There are some movies for me that really have not really held up and it's kind of changed my 
my affection towards certain movies, which makes me sad. But for this movie, to your point, there's not a whole lot of offensive jokes or bad behavior in this movie where I think it could have easily gone that way, you know, actually. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's aged pretty well. Yeah, I also wrote down, is this a happy Star is Born? (laughs) Because Star is Born just came out. Yeah. And I never heard or like watched A Star is Born, any of the previous iterations before this movie. Uh Uh-huh. And since it came out, and then I was watching it, and I was like, oh, he, like, discovers a songstress or, like, a, yeah, yeah, a lyricist. Yeah. And then it's, like, this musical romance. It's, like, stars born light without, like, a, a sad ending. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting. <laughs> I think the one thing that I have down that I don't know if it's stereotypical or not is the guy that they sing to, Khan. Mm-hmm. I don't know anybody whose first name is Khan. Is that like just lazy token Asian like inclusion for the movie? Or are there are there people whose names are first names are Khan? I've always felt like it's such a last name. Yeah. But I don't know if it's ever been a first name. I don't know. Get in the comments. Put it in the reviews. Yeah, let, let us, us know. know. Um <laughs> it's funny. So it's played by Asif Man. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, unfortunately. Asif Manvi. He's in like some other movies too. He's quite funny he's i don't think he actually has an indian accent Mm -hmm. he plays someone who has an indian accent in this movie and maybe khan since he is a doorman maybe they just call him by his last name is that a thing i actually no i take that back because i have door people and i do not call them by their last names (laughs) i guess that is kind of just token asian let's call him something very indian right I kind of have a trend now, I guess, in doing a few episodes where I'm like, ooh, is there diversity in this movie? And, uh, you know, are there other people in the main protagonist lineup that aren't white? But I understand this was 2007, but the only people of color in this, I think, are Khan. And I think that's it. Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, we don't really get to know that many people outside of Sophie, Alex, Rhonda, Cora and her team. Okay, so her security guy is black or her DJ is black. Mm. Yeah, that was one of my WTF moments that I forgot about earlier, which is like at the end when she runs up to go backstage, mm-hmm. Derek is just like walking up <laughs> conveniently time to be like, oh, she's good. And I was like, she probably would have waited there until the end of the whole set and still not have been able to That's go such back. a good point. That was way too convenient. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. I did a little bit of trivia digging. So I mentioned that this was the feature film debut of Haley Bennett. This was actually only her third audition ever. Hugh Grant is actually 14 years older than Drew Barrymore. Oh, wow. And on a sad note, the songwriter of this movie, I don't know if you're familiar. So his name was Adam Schlesinger, who is uh, a singer on Fountains of Wayne, who wrote all the pop songs on this movie. But unfortunately, he passed away due to COVID earlier this year. So that was really sad. But... I know he's done some other music for other movies, too, that were also really catchy. Yeah, that's kind of a sad moment, but I really think he did a good job writing this music. So nostalgic for the 80s, and it was so catchy, you know? Like, I'm going to go and listen to the soundtrack when I'm done recording with you. Meaningless Kiss is such a (laughs) riff-off of Careless Whisper, (laughs) which is, like, my all-time favorite song. Is it really? 
Yeah, it's the one that I do at karaoke because it's really unexpected, but it's like <laughs> about the most memorable saxophone opening ever. Yes, it's iconic. Even the name of the song is so similar. Meaningless Kiss, Careless Whisper. <laughs> I think that's the comedy behind it, right? It's like so right. tropey. It's so predictable. It's like so formulaic in the 80s. Yeah, but he really captured like the essence of that. And then yeah. like, Cora's music was very much like Britney, mm-hmm. like I'm a slave for you, that yeah. kind of era for me. So I'm not surprised that he went on to write a lot of other great music because he clearly understands like the elements of each one and how to like replicate it or parody it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any last takes? I think we can start to wrap it up. Yeah. I think there was, it was like me thinking of how this movie could be done today mm-hmm. and I just came out with like this really sad realization that like if Alex really needed to do lyrics he probably would have like crowdsourced it via social media mm. or <laughs> gone on like a competition show like Songland or something so I don't know if like the premise if they were to make it today would hold up that's a really interesting point I think you mentioned earlier like music today is quite I don't know if you said formulaic, I forget the words you used, but yeah, it's it's not, again, I'm generalizing. I'm sure there's a lot of musicians and artists out there who hone their craft in their songwriting. But for like these pop hits, it seems like it's quite easy to churn out these digitized, like auto-tuned songs. So there's maybe a sense of like a loss of purity in music, to your point, like even from the stages of songwriting the song, I'm sorry, songwriting in, in the art form itself. So yeah, I, basically, I'm saying I agree with you. I don't think this premise would would land today. Yeah, there's something about like the 80s music. I don't know if like I could watch this 10 years from now with somebody who's like younger than us. Mm-hmm. And they would understand where we were coming from. Mm. <laughs> like it's so specific to people of a certain age watching it at a certain time. that Like if you grew up in this age, and you hadn't watched it, obviously recommend but the reach of it probably isn't as broad or timeless as it could be. Yeah, I mean, like, to your point about the whole reference to the Battle of the 80s, and like they're listing off these 80s acts. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, those were people that were, like, really famous. <laughs> like, Tiffany and Debbie Gibson, like, Flock of Seagulls, you know, like, these are references that people born in the 2000s and 2010s would have no idea who they are. I would, you know, not be surprised if they didn't know who they are. So, I mean, music has evolved a lot. So (laughs) it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, My last takes are, I kind of went on this, like a little bit of a rabbit hole of Haley Bennett, who played Cora. And I was like, I thought she did really good in this movie. You know, like she was very believable as this superstar, but I haven't seen her in a lot of things. And she did her own singing in this movie, too. And she actually landed a singing contract, but she didn't ever make an album. Hmm. Or I guess it was never released. Maybe she made one and then it was just never published or whatever. But yeah, and I looked at her IMDb. She tends to do a little bit of darker films. I would support any non-horror films that she does because I don't watch horror. (laughs) So if she ever comes out with another rom-com, I'm totally down. I would watch it because I thought she was really fun in this. I'm realizing I forgot to ask you a question. (laughs) Who was your favorite character? I really love Rhonda because she's outrageous. (laughs) She's like unapologetically a fan and 
loses any sense of composure and that level of enthusiasm I feel like is infectious mm-hmm. so I really love her and also when she comes home from babysitting <laughs> and like she says you guys should be in bed and then the kids are just like oh I'm so scared and, and then she goes and if you're not in bed I'm coming in there and they're just like so scared straight <laughs> like she is a power woman so I really loved her yeah same she's my favorite as well just the comedic <laughs> elements were just so funny I just wish that we had more of her I mean she's kind of the mo- most like supportive character of Sophie right like she mm-hmm. wants the best for her sister she's very sweet but then you know she also like fangirls over Alex but she doesn't let that blind her for what she wants for Sophie like who cares if he might have been like this big pop star like you matter more and your happiness matters more and like she's so funny she I feel I wrote down that she's definitely been married for 16 years like the way she interacts with her husband (laughs) (laughs) like that scene where they're going into MSG and she's like take the kids you know I, I need to talk to Sophie and her husband's like well what do you want me to do and she's like just go how hard can it be just go just go in and get the seats And he just has so many follow-up questions. That was just very relatable for me. I was like, just do it. Just figure it out. Yeah, I loved her. So funny. Um, I think that wraps it up. Cool. Thanks so much for doing this, Monica. I appreciate your time. Yeah, no problem. I look forward to chatting another movie with you. Yeah, on the next one. Yeah, for sure. To all tuning in, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Romcom Weekly. You can follow us on Instagram at Romcom Weekly and would love to hear what you think about music and lyrics. We'll chat with you guys again next week. Bye.